Thank you for downloading the Green Majority Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's show. A quick reminder, as usual, if you can, are willing, and are able to support the Green Majority, we need your support. You can do that at greenmajority.ca or go straight to the source at patron.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash greenmajority. Enjoy the show. Listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Darren Kaster. I'm also in studio again with Stefan. How you doing? Who I'm actually going to, because I have to organize the rest of our show, I'm going to throw to Stefan to introduce our special guest this week. Uh, oh, amazing. Fantastic. Uh, I'm here with uh, Barbara Gracilova. Which I'm pretty sure Grakolova. 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 All right, I'm pretty sure Darren just threw to me just so I would, so he didn't have to try to say your last name. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's actually what happened. The hot potato. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, Barbara's been on the show before, and will be joining us again. Uh, we'll largely taking the middle section of the show uh, to talk about, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but talk about the cap and trade system uh, specifically in ca- uh, in California, uh, but because that because Ontario has actually joined that, it has Canadian implications as well. Yes, that was a very good summary. Amazing. Yeah, just Fan- a bit of an update. Yeah. Uh, an update. Fantastic. Uh, I, feel, I feel like uh, to carry on the update theme then, uh, I also, our top news story of the day, uh, once again, for the second week in a row, I get to say our top news story uh, is, uh, is North Dakota. Uh, which I didn't think I'd ever get to say, but now I'm going to say two weeks in a row that our top news story is North Dakota. Uh, which is because I would say minutes after uh, after our last show, um, just, just mere minutes. If he had just done it earlier, I, we could have had another. We always like breaking news on the show because mm-hmm. we're once a week, so it's really we don't get to, we don't actually get to break news that often. I, I actually because I, I stay here at CIUT to finish producing the show for the rest of the day. I almost hijacked back onto someone else's show and was like, "Never mind that music." Yeah, <laughs> Green Majority Four in the afternoon breaking news. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, because uh, right after our show, or very shortly after our show, uh, there was a there was a setback and then uh, then a victory in in very quick succession. Uh, the setback was that uh, the because this is again about the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, and, the, and the ongoing battle, which now includes uh, upwards of two hundred uh, different uh, different Native American uh, tribes who are now uh, helping block this pipeline uh, in North Dakota, uh, and they've all come to cross all come from all across. I think is now I think it's now North America. Uh, no one is. I don't think anyone has flown in from outside of North America, but I also could be wrong. Uh, but anyways, so this is about that. So, well, if I can stop you there, Stephen, yeah. it's really good that they didn't fly in because, as we know from uh, many of the uh, uh, corporate types that we've spoken to personally before, mm. that is, if you ever take an airplane, you therefore have you therefore have no right to make any argument for climate change well, well, ever or, again. Exactly. Yeah. Well, or even even more local and recent, the protests that happened here. Uh, against against the DPA, DAPL pipeline were criticized because they blocked transit and made people have to idle in their cars. Uh, so so you can't protest 
if you're blocking any type of vehicle that may be emitting any emissions. Well, I guess we're at a stalemate because then, uh, in my opinion, anytime any person who works for an oil company opens their mouth, uh, they're ex- uh, exhaling toxic fumes. Mm. Um, so I guess we're I guess we're deadlocked. Yeah, they're, 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 yeah, we're all we're all lost. I mean, uh, Toronto has a no idling bylaw, so all those people could have actually been fined under that potentially. Well, there we go. Uh, so, uh, do you find the people, the protesters? Uh, let's be real here. Toronto would probably find a way to find the protesters. Uh, but to the actual news, uh, we will promise we will eventually get this. Uh, is that shortly after our uh, shortly after our show, uh, the the request uh, that was the request that was that that that, uh, that these tribes, uh, one particular, I believe it's a Sweet Nation, but I could be wrong. I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me. Uh, was was denied uh, by the 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 federal government not the, federal, the, the a judge basically um, this is a uh, but but it's shortly thereafter that news was trumped uh, if I can use that word if that's not a slur I feel like it's already a slur so I, if I'm allowed to say that word on community radio it was trumped yeah. uh, in a couple of months that language might be banned from uh, from our lexicon but. yes but right now we're fine great um, because uh, in a major concession, uh, the Obama administration actually announced that it would not grant a permit for a key portion of the project uh, near Siouxland, uh, Siouxland uh, until further an extensive review. Uh, so that is was both shocking. I don't think anyone uh, anyone expected that. Uh, at least it was not in any of the conversations as a possibility when uh, when this is all going through. I read a couple articles of, of different uh, different people being like, "Where are, where's Obama on this?" Uh, and then he shows up, and they're like, "Oh wow, oh that's where Obama is on this." Also, I want to point out that this, our show was mildly uh, prophetic uh, mm. in that I think you ended the show by saying Obama was going to pay attention to climate change after his uh, after after his presidency ended, uh, and then later on he's like he heard you, you were goading him, and he's like, "Fine, Darren, here." <laughs> I well, will block this pipeline. To, to, to be fair and, and, and more importantly, accurate, uh, I was reporting a news story that I was yeah, reading, Oh, yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, uh, yes. But uh, I think what's really important here, I mean, just, just, just to talk about that for a really quick second, because yeah. I think that angle on it, on it is really important, because like, as we've said before, um, you know, Obama's attitude is that he has, a, he has a very cynical – I would say he's actually more cynical than we are, <laughs> and I, that, that, that bar is high. Yeah, it is very uh, high. But you know, his, his whole thing is that he's picked a few battles he wanted to fight. Uh, one of them was health care. Um, and you know, his, his attitude was that, you know, there's only so I can only push so much so fast and he might've been right, but I just wish he would have tried. And so this whole thing about, you know, what I'm going to fight climate change, you know, after, um, and you know, you could say that certain things and, you know, stopping Keystone, whatever, but this was all due to massive amounts of public pressure. And, and I, I, I think that he doesn't have a lot of fight in him. And I think that I actually do believe that he will probably be a, a reasonably strong, if not incredibly strong advocate after he leaves office. Uh, I simply disagree with him that he had the ability to do more while he was in office. Uh, I have more more faith in his abilities than apparently he does. Hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of issues where he simply has picked his battles and, and on on to a wider degree, I would say on climate change, he's decided not to fight. He's decided to hold the line in a lot of cases, uh, but I, I don't think he's fought nearly as hard as he could have, and he's not used all the tools at his disposal uh, to go after it. And so that's why, you know, the end of the show, I sort of said, you know, read between the lines. Well, Same. now that I have a moment, those are the lines I'm trying to draw, was that, yeah, okay, you could say he's he certainly hasn't been the biggest, you know, uh, uh, anti-climate change president ever, uh, but not doing stuff is also a choice, and I think he's made a choice to not take action until after office when he conveniently has very little power. So whether or not we believe him, he'll fight hard after he leaves office. Uh, the opportunity has still been lost. 
In, uh, if I can, at least uh, in, in partial defense uh, of Obama and in partial, not to say correction, but they did actually, Obama did actually attempt to get a cap and trade bill through the through legislation. Uh, uh, he's uh, attempted to do a lot of things, and we won't dig into the show, but I think he could have tried a lot harder. As, as I said, that's sort of where I was getting at, but there's a lot of tools at his disposal he's not used that he could have. Mm. And, uh, and so that's where I, I both acknowledge that and, and maintain my point. All right, fair enough. Um, uh, so the, so what, the, the point actually reason why I wanted to start North Dakota uh, was A, to provide this update because we've been sort of following it along. I will, once again, uh, reiterate that if you really want to follow this issue, uh, go to Democracy Now! Uh, or time travel an hour beforehand of this show uh, and listen to it. Um, but because uh, they, they've been done, they've been super extensive coverage, so much so apparently, apparently too extensive coverage uh, because the, uh, the host of Democracy Now! now has a warrant out for her arrest. Uh, Amy Goodman was in, was, was in a North Dakota covering this uh, and apparently being a apparently covering something that you've deemed an illegal protest is now also acting as an illegal part of the legal protest uh, so she had to actually I think she had to she was she was traveling and had to go back to the states uh, to just to basically be like really guys really um, but but what I wanted really to address actually was all of this conversation about whether or not so, so writing this, 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 this. Whenever a pipeline gets delayed or something like that, there's a, there's a, there's a rallying cry of like, "Look, we're we're being heard, we're winning. This is great." Um, but I saw a couple of articles out there that were basically saying the opposite on this one. They were saying like, "This is a bad thing," uh, and or why this isn't why this isn't necessarily good, isn't necessarily good. And I, to paraphrase, I believe the argument was that basically the uh, that the delay would. Uh, hurt the ability to protest uh, because you know pe- now that there's a delay people might f- it, would, it would drop off the radar it was actually she was getting some salience uh, was actually getting international discourse in some ways you know n- not fantastically you know Trump still trumps um, but there is still a uh, there is still a level of, of, of the conversation and but by moving on from this uh, or by Obama making this decision it would allow people to sort of forget about it again and, and maybe the maybe the, all the momentum that was built uh, to actually cut, finish the end the, pro- the pipeline uh, would be, would lost, and then and then later on another White House would just say, okay, never mind, take the permits, uh, and then it would still get built. Yeah. Uh, and I understand that argument, but at the same time, if we can't celebrate our victories, we will never celebrate anything. Uh, and you can't get mad at a government for saying for, for not listening to you, and then when it takes action to listen to you, say, well, that's going to hurt us for argu- for rallying around not you not not listening to us. Um, and so it's like. I like I get the point they were trying to make, but also at the same time, I don't. I feel like it's whenever people criticize the left for not being able to win with them, uh, or or why, or whenever people criticize the left for like you know you, we, we give you an inch and then you and then you're mad at us you didn't give us a mile. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that they're pointing out. Uh, you know if. Yeah, like if, if if a right wing issue got some success at some point, they none of them would be like, "Well, this isn't good enough," uh, or at least that would uh, that wouldn't have the same. I feel, I feel like they don't have that same sort of uh, reactionary uh, distrust, uh, which which makes it hard to pander to us, which makes our issues harder to get. Like as, as silly as that sounds, it makes it harder to pander to environmentalists if environmentalists refuse to accept the victories they're trying to give us. <laughs> 
So uh, another incident on this, and one of the things I was thinking about with this particular story is that, you know, I I was wondering, because things will things will come across our desk and the Dakota Access Pipeline, frankly, is one of them. And now we, you know, this would take our our weekly reminder uh, to our to our listeners that uh, we are, of course, you know, volunteers and uh, we we have actual jobs outside of this and therefore are not able to pay, you know, 24 hours a day attention to this, uh, despite my brief attempt at doing so. so sometimes, you know, things I'll, I'll go to do my, my news cycle routine and uh, I'll be like there's something will come up about, oh, there's a protest about this pipeline that's like about to be finished. And be like, why? How did I not know about it? Like, how did I get this far? And, and there, there's part of an part of an answer to that was discovered. There was a really interesting article posted on Common Dreams, actually, about the Dakota Access uh, Pipeline. And one of the things that it brings up at the end there is something called the uh, FERC, which I'm going to have to refer to my notes here, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, uh, which was... Uh, uh, put together under uh, in 1938 uh, to grant private corporations the power of eminent domain over local jurisdictions. Oh, eminent domain, of course, being a fancy way of saying you think that's yours. Yeah, no, it's mine now. <laughs> uh, it gives the government the power to basically override, you know, supposedly owned land and all sorts of other rights, and basically just be like it's it's a it's a it's a backdoor uh, to be able to just wipe out people's rights when it comes to property. Uh, and the, the idea was, of course, this was during the rebuilding, uh, the building of the, the, the recovering and, and, and tied into the war effort. And then, of course, the recovery after the war effort and all those sorts of things. There was a number of policies of which the creation of FERC uh, was uh, made. Uh, the problem is, is that it still exists with the same insane powers. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, largely considered by many to be a, a rogue agency in many degrees. Uh, because they, in many respects, don't need to go through other levels of government. They can simply be appealed and grant these permissions. And so one of the reasons why so often these these pipelines get to such a late stage is, you know, despite the fact that we have numerous reports of mayors and townships and entire communities protesting and saying, no, we don't want this going through our community. This is not safe. You know, never mind the uh, First Nations groups whose, you know, land is being taken away and poisoned and everything else uh, is because essentially the corporations can go straight to this this agency, which has immense power. Uh, and and not nearly enough oversight, uh, many would argue, and I would join them, uh, to essentially just plow the way for them despite any opposition. And so it, it gets to this, it's nearly completed uh, process, uh, this part of the, the process, uh, simply because there, there is very little red tape. And the, and these uh, very, very these, these agencies with an incredible amount of power and very little oversight essentially just like bully everybody out of the way. And there's very little you can do. And it, and because of that, it can happen so quickly um, that the thing's halfway built before anybody even catches wind of it in many cases. Of course, not, you know, the industry. They know exactly what's going on. The government in many cases knows exactly what's going on. But the, the public doesn't have a ton of time to rally against it because it's halfway built before most of them have even figured out what's going on. I mean, the land can be taken and start to be under construction before the people in the neighborhood even know what it's being built in some cases. So uh, I just thought that was an interesting. Interesting uh, angle to bring into this. Oh yeah, and they've and they've they've done it in a specific way. They're, they're building it in small pieces as well to avoid to avoid other. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, well, if you build build a really really long pipeline, then you have to get this entire assessment. If you build a bunch of small pipelines that just happen to be connected, uh, then you don't have to get like it's just it's a silly way to get around this uh, this, this this environmental assessments. Uh, last piece of the news story of of of, of North this North Dakota news before I guess we'll go to we'll go right to. Uh, right to the to the music break uh is that uh north dakota oil pipelines uh the people who are actually building this pipeline are saying it could hit producers and shippers so they're warning everyone that's gonna that that, that everyone this, this pipeline delay is gonna is gonna mean that everyone's gonna pay more money uh which is funny because uh to, to tie this back into sort of that this kind of messaging 
It also exists uh, right now with the cap and trade bill that's happening on, in, in, in Ontario. Uh, if I, I'll, I'll try to try to create the segue so we can go segue into the next sec- next section, uh, which is that th- this sort of this sort of thinking th- sort of thinking where like whenever whenever you know the big corporate business something like doesn't get doesn't get their way or doesn't get their th- doesn't get their three point eight billion dollar pipeline, they're very very quick to inform everyone. But like, but this is going to affect you. This is gonna, this, you know, you know, you, climate change isn't gonna affect you, but this is gonna cost you an extra dollar when you want to get gas, and that's what should matters. Um, and the exact same thing is currently happening to cap and trade Ontario, and so much so that Enbridge is currently actually sending out in their bills, uh, it says on, in their bill telling you about it's an extra like, oh, this is an extra this amount of money for the cap and trade bill, uh, and then in it, it basically, it, not only does it say like. It's forming everyone like your bill is going to go up because of the cap and trade. It also then just says, and we're just going to pass it, pass it on to the consumer. They're like, there's no, there's no hiding that part. They're like, it's going to go, the price is going to go up, and we are, and there's, we are making no effort to make it not cost you more money. It's going to cost you directly more money, uh, so you should not like this. Uh, and it's just so, so it's it's that it's the same sort of thinking of which you know. Heaven forbid that either any of these organizations think about the other ways costs are happening or the other things that are happening or, or even can try to step in to maybe actually you know, pay for some of this or find a way to decrease. The, like, A, Enbridge, if, you're, if your energy source was cheaper uh, or, or was, was cleaner, you wouldn't have to pass so much of the cost on to the consumer. Uh, but no, they're not going the, to change how they do things. All they want to do is make sure that you're, you, you know why you're paying more. You're yeah. paying because of cap and trade, not because it's an ener- it's a carbon intensive Ex- energy source. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so uh, with that, we can go to music break, uh, and then we'll come right back to actually hear what's up with this cap and trade, uh, which is exactly how I'm going to phrase the first question to you, Barbara. So <laughs> what's up with cap that. and trade? That's exactly what you're going to. That sounds like a paper I wrote. In <laughs> uh, so Barbara will be joining us in just a minute to talk about cap and trade. I also wanted to tease now that I had a second to get my head in the game here uh, to tease the end of the program where we're going to be talking a little bit about the Monsanto Bayer merger and the uh, the uh, quote five alarm threat to our food supply a little bit and a very fascinating uh, article about a sugar study. Or or rather, how sugar uh, pulled the wool over your eyes and made you be really concerned about fat. Those are some interesting stories from the end of the show. But before that, we're going to go, as Stefan just mentioned, to, in this case, Serena Ryder got your number. Stefan, I'm so sorry to interrupt your dancing. Oh, man. Well, I, I, I just put the headphones back on, and then and, and you hit the chorus. <laughs> how can I not? All right. So uh, what, will you please lead us into the next section? For sure. So uh, as, as, as teased right before that wonderful music break, uh, I, we are in the studio with Barbara Gracolva, Gr- Gracolova. Nailed it this time. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. We'll find that out. That was good. That was good. All right. I'll take it. Um, and uh, who's, a, who's an environmental lawyer here in, here in the city of Toronto. Uh, and she's going to take us through the cap-and-trade uh, bill, both in, both in California and then what's going to happen here on, in, uh, in Ontario or how that impacts Ontario and, I guess, Quebec, theoretically, because mm-hmm. uh, they're also the same. They're all, we're all on the same team. I don't, know, I don't know what we call this, but we'll find out because, Barbara... What's up with cap and trade? What's up with cap and trade? So the team is called Western Climate Initiative. Right. So we have a team name. This we is fantastic. We have a team name. Yeah, we have a team name. Okay. Do so, we get jerseys? Um, oh, I hope so. <laughs> um, okay. So, so I've just been sort of trying to follow what the news are around cap and trade and, and getting my head around this. Um, so essentially, it's, it's no longer a bill in Ontario. Ontario has passed the law. Okay. Ontario will be getting cap and trade. So starting... Next January, there will be carbon pricing in Ontario. Yay, talk about celebrating successes, yeah, right? Exactly. This, is, this is an amazing thing. Um, so the thing is that 
Ontario is a member of the Western Climate Initiative, which is a group of, uh, I don't remember how many, I believe 11 or 12 states and provinces that met up in the mid 2000s. Oh my goodness, do people still call it aughts? Mid aughts. <laughs> um, I, I, I feel like aughts is one of those things that people, you know, that pretend happened, is a thing, but it doesn't okay, happen. No, 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 okay, okay. I'm good with that. Um, so a number of states and provinces met up and agreed to have some kind of a carbon pricing program. And so far, uh, California and Quebec are the ones that that have it in place and that are trading together. And the intention is for Ontario to join them. Okay. Um, it's not clear when Ontario wants to join them, but people have been sort of watching how these auctions and, and these these trading these trades that happen um, with California and Quebec jointly how they're going, so they can sort of predict what's happening in Ontario. And um, so there's there's some cause for alarm essentially. Ah. So these these auctions happen four times a year. Um, and, and uh, I think this is the eighth one that just happened at the end of August. Um, and usually they're, they're, they sell out, right? Usually there's about 100 to 95 to 100% of the allowances that are up for, up for trade get sold. Right, which is in, which is just for which is important because if 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 not all of them get sold, then the cabin trade is doing nothing because they're not actually decrease because the allowances is how much you can actually emit, and so if you don't sell all of them, uh, then then people wouldn't have admitted any more than that anyways. It's interesting because it, well, so one of the things that could mean is that people have been or emitters have been so good at reducing their emissions that they don't need to buy allowances just because they're they're emitting right. so much less. That's okay. one possibility. Right. I'm not holding my breath that that's <laughs> a significant contributor to this. So what happened in May? Eleven percent were sold. Oh wow! And everyone kind of freaked out. And you know this is this is really concerning because the price plummeted. There's a secondary market where the price is even lower than the the floor price. So there, there's a floor pro- floor price built into the system so it didn't go all the way to zero but it's it's really low and on the secondary market it's even lower than that in august um just under 32 percent got sold so we're doing better we're doing three times better than or we the the wci is doing three times better than in may just for context here does that mean that uh what, the the jump from eleven to thirty five. Mm-hmm. Uh, does did they that, was that percentage because they reduced the cap of how many there were of how, of, of the total amount of emissions, um, or was it just because of the fact that we just are emitting more? So okay, so it's interesting because the other thing that plays into this is the compliance period. Okay. So technically, emitters don't have to comply until the end of the compliance period, which I believe is twenty seventeen. So Quebec and California have three years to. Um, kind of buy their allowances, figure out how much they're going to emit. And it's a yearly cap, right? So you just add it up. And at the end of three years, the emitters have to present the governments with, okay, here's the allowances for all the carbon that we've emitted, all the greenhouse gas emissions. Um, One of the things that's causing this, this drop, it's, it's actually, so there's a huge surplus of allowances. That's the problem. And the idea is that when, when um, Quebec, sorry, when Ontario joins, um, the price won't go up high enough right. because there will be all these allowances floating enough. It's going to be much cheaper to just buy allowances from California and Quebec, mostly California, just because they're so much bigger and there's so many more. Um, one of the reasons that's happening is that there is a lawsuit in California uh, that's been going on for a few years now, but it's it, they're expecting a decision sometime towards the end of this year. I believe December is one of the predictions. There's a lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of the cap-and-trade system oh. in California. 
so there's there's uncertainty whether this will continue. I don't know what the chances are. I don't know enough about California law. Hmm. Um, but emitters are essentially saying, I'm not going to buy this. I'm going to wait another year. I'm going to buy it later, if at all, because this might not actually be a thing that I have to comply with. Um, which means that essentially some reports say that the price in Ontario, if Ontario were to join, the price will not actually get significantly higher until mid-30s. So um, 2036, let's say, or, or I think th that was one of the years that was floating around. So for another, uh, what year is it now? But for another 20 years, we're going to have the, the prediction. One of the predictions is that the price per carbon is going to be around 16 to $17 Canadian per ton. Wow. Just for comparison, there's, there's uh, reports that say um, we need the price to be anywhere between 50 to 200 in the next few years in order to actually achieve significant reductions. Yeah, I was going to say that I thought it was about – I, I remember $100 a, bit, uh, a ton of, yeah. of, for, for carbon equivalents to be, the, to be the sort of benchmark, but 50 to 200 is probably – I think 200 is the, the highest I've ever read. I mean, I, right. yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't it, know about the methodology of these studies. I'm sure they vary in same, all of the ways. Exactly. Um, so, so one of the one of the factors is the lawsuit. The other thing is that California could just be really good at reducing their emissions, and they're doing really well. So, so it's great because reductions are happening in California. So Ontario shouldn't worry. And if we join in, we're just supporting reductions in California. Right. Um. So, so that's kind of what's happening. The other thing is, if we were to if we were to link up with California, which we're planning on, I believe. Yeah. Um. California, California has a law that says anyone they link up with has to have, um, has to have. Sorry, there's four rules, and one of them is that the jurisdiction has to have requirements for greenhouse gas reductions and offsets that are equivalent or stricter than California. Oh, okay. Up to this point, California's uh, greenhouse gas reduction goals were weaker than Ontario's, um, but they, as of um, I believe a couple of weeks ago, or or just a week ago, they added a new goal. So California now has a goal of reducing their emissions by 40% um, from 1990 baselines in 2030, which is currently higher than Ontario. Ontario's at 37. Right, that's quite a goal. That's quite a goal. And then for 2050, California's um, goal is 80%. Wow. And so, that, so, so theoretically for Ontario to join, they would have to then match that commitment or – or, or have a song or maybe, basically. Yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know. I just came across this a uh, couple of days ago. That right. that could potentially be an issue. I mean, th this is probably, I don't know when these negotiations between Ontario and California and Quebec would be happening about, about linking up. That's just kind of a... An, another piece of the puzzle. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, what's interesting about that, of course, is that uh, far be it from from for I to to, to poo poo uh, California on this uh, on this issue, uh, but you know I like the idea of California saying that you have to have targets as strict as them. Uh, if given the fact that no one has ever has anyone ever hit a target, has that a thing? Like out of curiosity, Ontario has, did. Really, Ontario hit oh, one of, of our pole, right? exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. Our, our largest and really accessible low hanging fruit has already been done by phasing out coal for electricity generation right yeah which is why you, when you see ontario's plan it is it's it's so scattered because mm -hmm. because the biggest thing's done and now they're like well what next and it's like well there's natural gas in homes 
right. and that's like which and is it's transportation. It, it, and it's transportation, yeah, exactly. But no, but you know, you, apparently there's all these protesters blocking all of our cars. How yeah, how can you reduce emissions on transportation? If all those cars were only electric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as an aside, I want to point out that the Western Climate Initiative's website is terrible. Uh, I just went to it, and yeah. it is awful. I uh, don't actually know what it looks like. Scott. I don't go to it. Often. It looks so. It, it's just kind of like a. It's, it's not GeoCities, but right. it's definitely like weak WordPress template bad. Um, it's, it's one of the. It's one of the freemium. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Not to diss on WordPress. No. No. Yes. WordPress is a fantastic is a fantastic tool, but it's it's like I guess you know all government websites are bad, and so this is just continuing on that that trajectory. That's a rule, isn't it? In I think it is ha- a rule. To be a government website, you have to be really inaccessible. And universities. Yes, exactly. Government and universities both have yeah. the bad websites. Um, so is there? So now that we've got a that's an excellent update on on where we're at and that. Is there any extra pieces of information that you think people need to know about these three things? Uh, do do you have any predictions on whether or not the uh, – I guess, I guess really the next, the next auction that will be happening in California will probably happen after this decision is made on the, on the constitutionality? Uh, or yeah, I wonder. I'm not, I'm not certain what the, what the dates are. It would have to be before the end of the year. Okay. So, so maybe we'll have one more before we'll have, I, Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how the timing lines up. I don't know if they know exactly when the, loss, when the decision but, of the court will be coming down. Right, which will be interesting because if, the, if that decision comes down and says you have to do it, then you could imagine a, a price spike. Mm-hmm. Uh, because or, or, or the well, opposite. All these, so all these emissions are st- sorry. All these allowances are still floating around. There's an axis of allowances, and they didn't get bought, mm-hmm. so they will be passed on to future auctions. So okay. they're not lost. Okay. So it will take a long time for the access to to. To actually, actually be bought up. That's, oh, that's one of the concerns that the price won't really be rising significantly for a long time. That's a, like you, you got to wonder what the you know. This seems like when something like this happens, it almost feels like the perfect opportunity for the government to actually make things stru- more strict. Like if you're not buying all the lances, we're just going to remove some of them. Um, and 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 yet and and yet the you know the the, the plan is is already in place, so they're probably just gonna, they're going to wa- they're going to wash their hands and see what happens. Uh, because if any, if ever there was a time. To to, to do that, it's 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 now. Uh, in the same way that I always think that, like you know, when whenever oil is cheap, that would be the, would be the time you should you should actually add uh, add in a tax uh, or a stronger tax uh, on on carbon because of the fact that it will still seem like a normal amount of money to be charging for for for, for oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I, I think another really important part of this discussion, uh, I'm I'm assuming Barbara hopefully can can help shed some light on this as well as well. But the, like what we're talking about, of course, is our provincial. All right. And so uh, the provinces have, uh, you know, power over certain areas and the federal government has power over certain areas. And so there hits a point when it comes and, and the rules and, of course, the relationships between the regional and the federal government are different between the provinces and, and our government and the states and the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. And so what the, where this starts getting really complicated, of course, is where, you know, if, if California has authority under the U.S. rules to do certain things, the, the, the provinces don't necessarily have the same sort of authority. And so it's entirely feasible that California might do something under uh, to you know en- enact this new standard, uh, which sort of acts as a standard under those rules, as you were just describing. And, and it might not actually be possible for 
the province to go and it may have to go and get permission from the federal government and once we get that then i mean that, that now we're it, we could end up with a deal where it works but it could take them 10 years just to do that i mean trudeau could be out of office by the time they sort that nonsense out with the between the courts and all the different powers and not never mind the opposition at, at provincial and federal levels from the other parties and i mean this this just starts looking like a huge <laughs> huge hairy mess well it's it's interesting because i think california is actually a little bit worse off in this case because what the lawsuit is about and again i don't know exactly that much about um about california legislation but essentially they have to have a two-thirds majority in order to pass a new tax and so the challenge is that cap and trade is a new tax this is something that ontario doesn't have a problem with and ontario's cap and trade does cover i believe 85 percent of of our provincial emissions so i don't anticipate a similar kind of lawsuit happening in ontario um with regards to what kind of emissions we can cover that's that's a whole another complicated conversation well but- sort of where i was going with that would be the idea is you know as you said if we've if we've covered a lot of low-hanging fruit and we start going down the list about what else we can do you know for instance if we're if we're just brainstorming and sort of leaving the complexity of how to how to actually do it under our legal system uh, out of it for a moment and just saying well what are the other things we could do you know enforce 100 percent. you know the only thing allowed on the roads for instance like the netherlands and several other countries have done uh you know you're you're just not allowed to own a gas-powered vehicle after this year for instance stuff like that you know sweeping uh sweeping changes and policy changes uh even if the province has the power to do something in that case it may not be politically feasible so they may decide not to because they're worried about being thrown out and then you know which is a legitimate concern because if they get thrown out and replaced by say the conservatives who want to do even less uh then it isn't then it then that is a real risk that it that isn't just up to their wants it is actually okay well if we try for this we won't get it and it might go backwards because somebody else gets put in power and they don't want to do anything um or there might be other areas where they simply don't have the authority to do it and they have to go through trudeau which even if trudeau was to say yes and i don't have any faith in him whatsoever um it would take a certain amount of time to have to bring another level of government into the discussion delaying these actions even further so i think simply because the the area of as you said the low-hanging fruit being gone any additional changes become more and more complicated potentially definitely yeah that's definitely the case and I just kind of wanted to tie this back to what we were talking about with regards to the uh, Dakota Access mm-hmm. pipeline, um, and kind of uh, okay. This is a bit of a personal confession. Um, I think in the back of my mind, I've really thought. I mean, okay, carbon pricing is absolutely essential. We need carbon pricing. Everyone around the world, World Bank, right? Everyone agrees that this is an important tool in our toolbox for fighting climate change. And I still believe that. Yes. I think. Th- at the back of my mind, I really just thought it would happen faster and it would contribute in a more significant way. So when I would hear about things like, um, you know, Dakota Access and Energy East, Kinder Morgan, um, Mi'kmaq people fighting in, in the East Coast, I thought, okay, we just need to hold these projects off for a certain for, amount right. of time. And essentially, people are going to figure out that these kinds of huge fossil fuel um, projects are not going to be viable. And this is a this is a bit of a you know, privileged white girl settler um, (laughs) (laughs) realization that a lot of people I'm sure know already is that it really is being fought by the frontline communities. Oh, yeah. 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 And and it's yeah. When it was like it's one of those things where yeah, you're waiting. It's like it's it's almost like if I can be an incredible nerd, uh, which I feel Are like you the show attempt has to out nerd me. Oh, I might, I might, and because oh, it's a, it's, <laughs> um, it's it's like we're all in the uh, we're we're all in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> 
Uh, and and are you Frodo? Don't uh, don't. No, I am not Frodo. None of us are Frodo. <laughs> okay, Frodo okay. is Frodo is off with the ring. None of us are Frodo. Uh, we're all humans in this story, um, and. Uh, and we're all in uh, – actually, to what's funny about this, I'm going to say I was going to be a huge nerd, but I also forget the name of the castle that they siege in the, in the, second, in the, in the second book. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a massive, massive battle in the, in the, in the, in the second book. Oh, where the Rohirrim come in? Yes. And, uh, Ex- Helm's Deep, isn't Helm's it? Helm's Deep. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, all right. Barbara wins the, wins the <laughs> nerd out. I this would well come in handy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, there's the, you know, there's the frontline communities who are holding off the goblins and the orcs for consistently over and over mm-hmm. again. And, and they keep waiting for this, uh, waiting for the, for, the, for, the, for the riders of Rohan to show up, which is this theoretical, you know, either realize, a sweeping realization of the world, um, or alternatively, uh, carbon pricing, and to come in and actually, you know, and, and, and basically do what they can't do, which is finish off the actual fight, r- rather than just delay and delay and delay. Um, and, and I feel like that's where we're at right now. Every, we, we've got, these frontline communities are, are valiantly holding off, uh, filling off Bill, incredible, incredible lengths, uh, and yet the riders of Rohan are nowhere to be seen. Uh, in, in that story, though, they do sweep in with the light shining behind them, riding down that so, probably uh, steep hill, right? So, well, I feel like we have to keep having hope, or why are we why are we all here? Well, so, we have to celebrate the successes. Yeah. It is pretty amazing that Ontario is about to have a carbon pricing program where we're pricing externalities. I think that was one of the goals of things that you want to mention every show, right? Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> and that's awesome, and we just need to keep fighting this at all fronts and realize the importance of all fronts, including, including the actual bodies of people stopping pipelines. Well, exactly. Yeah. If, if no one defended Helm's Deep at the beginning, the Riders of Rohan would have showed up to a completely overrun castle. And then and there would have been a, much, a very, very different story. Right. And so as we go to our, our music break, I think so. The, the lessons learned here, of course, is that, uh, yeah, is that a lot of it is sort of a delay until... You know, other forces take over, and I think your your metaphor is uh, is very apt in that in that case. And and uh, and and uh, and you know, to remind people that you know the 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 throne room was broken into before they showed up. So I mean, that, it got that. pretty. They got pretty dark before the light came. Uh, leaving the metaphor briefly, so we'll, we can come back to this if we desire <laughs> afterwards. But the the other important thing I just want to throw in there as far yeah. as as far as the the light perhaps appearing at the at the edge of the horizon, uh, be it lightning or be it you know salvation. Um, was that it was that another story we won't really get into, but I'll just sort of reference to it uh, was one where um, the the law in a lot of cases requires uh, there there are contracts that require uh, under international trade things like NAFTA uh, where you know there's conversations we had this conversation on the show years before Stephanie even was involved in this. Stephanie and I have talked about it before years ago uh, as well, which was the idea that under a lot of these trade deals, like Canada actually doesn't have power, essentially, because under these international trade laws, we've already we've agreed to give a certain amount of oil, and, and it's not up to us. We can't just be like, oh, I'm sorry, we don't want to, because uh, we can have the pants suit office in international trade courts, by the way, TPP, is going to make that a heck of a lot worse. So one of the cases that was interesting, this this perhaps uh, uh, the, uh, the a glimmer of light at the horizon, uh, was that uh, and I don't have it in front of me because I wasn't planning on getting into it, but just referencing from my my, my reading this morning, uh, was that there was an oil company that was requesting to the provincial government to to make a certain essentially appeals on their behalf uh, to not 
uh, be under law legal contract to forcibly dig up all bitumen in the tar sands uh, because it's under the idea is that eventually uh, as demand will increase no matter what event the idea is that you know the uh, eventually even the most uh, hosp- hospitable and hard to reach oil would eventually become profitable uh, because demand will continue to rise while supply stays flat and that's so that's the argument and that's why they'll like okay well we can commit to infinite uh, uh, mining because eventually, no matter what, the pr- it will always make the case to dig it up eventually. Uh, and this was the first glimmer was that the oil companies are even saying like, yeah, we're we're not sure. We we we're not certain there will be an ever increasing demand. Uh, so we're asking your permission to help us find a way to to get out from this legal contract to be forcibly dig it all up because if we do, we're going to be digging it up at a loss, and this will sink our company. So, well, let us go to break on that perhaps glimmer of light on the horizon, uh, and. Uh, accidentally some dance music because i was in a bit of a scramble to find some music today we're actually going to go to alex veliz with dancing casambona yeah i totally screwed that up <laughs> my best shot here he goes some fun music for we'll be right back you're listening to the green majority on ciut 89.5 fm our wonderful community radio partners rabble.ca and of course the green majority podcast with the extended podcast version at greenmajority.ca we will be right back won't you play this song again all right, we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM, live on the radio at the moment, also listening to us possibly in podcast format, uh, in which case you'll be looking forward to a, a fun-as-usual bonus show today. You could also be listening on one of our very appreciated and wonderful international community radio partners or on uh, our, the podcast version over posted over at Ravel.ca where there's lots of other good independent media uh, being produced. Uh, but without uh, further ado, uh, Stefan wanted to take point on the introduction to the final section. Yeah, thank you so much, Darren. Uh, so a couple, uh, of course, w- the very dearly missed M.A. Ma uh, has been hard at work uh, with her you know, actual job, which pays her. Um, and uh, so hasn't been on the show for a little bit, uh, but very much uh, sends both her love to all of you, uh, the listeners, uh, and also encourages everyone to check out uh, Rock Against the TPP, uh, which is an all-ages concert that is, this, that is tonight. Uh, that is Friday. Uh, in case you're listening on the podcast, it was Friday, September 16th. Hopefully you went, uh, if it's the podcast. Uh, if it's not the podcast, if you're listening to us live right now, you can still make it uh, if you're in Toronto. Uh, it's tonight at 6 o'clock at the Opera House. Uh, tickets are available online. Uh, and then if you heard this on, like, on say, a Friday at midnight, uh, and you're still in Toronto, and you're like, oh, no, I missed that, but I still want to do something, there's a teach-in on Saturday uh, at the Steelworkers Hall at 25 Cecil, so you also can check that out as well. Uh, so with those two pieces of information gone, I get to introduce Darren's uh, next thing, mostly because... I really wanted to tell everyone how much, much I when Darren first said he literally just walked out through the door at the very beginning said he was going to cover uh, he was going to cover the Monsanto bears and I, in my head there was genetically engineered bear, engineered bears uh, which only <laughs> reminded me uh, of Stephen Colbert when he had when he had his own show that wasn't the Late Show always did the threat down and there was a bunch of different threats and the number one was always bears uh, so this is the Green Majority threat down Darren how are bears going to kill us. Uh well the it's uh, it's it's actually Bayer. Uh uh, Damn. B-A-Y-E-R. Uh, giant pharmaceutical company uh, has accepted uh, – uh, sorry, uh, rather, Monsanto, the uh, 
uh, uh, Legion of Doom, if I can call them by <laughs> another name, uh, the absolutely horrifying evil corporation. And and I, you know, despite what people may occasionally listen to the show might think, I don't actually throw that around very often. Uh, I've I've accused uh, oil companies of being corrupt uh, and and misguided. Uh, I I only jokingly refer to them as evil. Monsanto's probably the closest thing to straight up literal when I'm call somebody evil that I ever mean. They're terrifyingly horrible horrible company. Um, uh, we'll get into why in just a moment, but the the news why we're talking about it is that Monsanto has accepted an offer to be bought out by Bayer, an even larger uh, corporation, pharmaceutical corporation, for sixty six billion dollars, the largest all cash deal ever. As of this past Wednesday, I love that all cash makes me think that they just have the world's largest briefcase <laughs> and they're just showing up with sixty-six billion dollars with this, you know, I don't know, with just the just this briefcase of infinite money. The good news is we have some time because they're going to count it. Oh, great! Yeah, <laughs> well, Un- delay, delay, delay. The riders are coming. The riders are coming. <laughs> Unmarked one-dollar bills. It is in the U.S., so they have one-dollar bills. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Let's make them do it in Canada. It'll Let's be more money count- and it will be loonies. It will take so much longer. No, no. We'll mix it up between loonies and toonies. It will take forever. (laughs) (laughs) Throw them all in a big piggy bank. (laughs) Sorry, Monsanto. You'll never get your money because you have to count it all first. So uh, antitrust agencies around the world are are, uh, uh, currently reviewing it. Um, There's no strong indication one way or the other uh, whether or not it'll go ahead. I will simply predict and just say they they will let it go ahead uh, under protest, but largely (laughs) they will. And this sees – I mean just to put this into scale, these were already – massive massive international multinational corporations uh with uh you know profit margins and and revenues exceeding many 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 countries uh across the world uh and already with uh or a hideous if i can use that word level of influence on politics uh vendana shiva uh is someone who's written an article which we won't get into today but uh she's essentially you know by by fighting for farmers in india and uh and for uh you know, traditional farming practices and not, you know, by traditional farming practices, we mean not designing stuff that can't be killed by napalm and then napalming everything, uh, chemically speaking, um, as as the sort of status quo. And oh, by the way, we've genetically engineered everything so that you can't reproduce or grow your own crops. You have to buy every product from us. Uh, really just hideously evil stuff. Um, you know, these are massive corporations. Bayer, of course, being a, a ungodly massive pharmaceutical companies one of the biggest with a just giant track record of of just terrible terrible things uh they've done all sorts of terrible you know just bad deals and people getting sick and killed and bad uh you know regulatory practices over their own drugs so these companies are now going to merge so just to put it into context these were already massive corporations which will now form uh probably the largest biotech and big pharma and big food uh, companies all rolled into one, uh, which will simply increase uh, their power. And one of the things, just to put this into context about who it is that we're talking about, uh, the uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to reference my notes here really quickly. Um, so both have been involved to a certain degree uh, in making explosives and lethally poisonous gases using shared technologies uh, in both during both world wars. So these companies have been around a long time. <laughs> Uh, in, including the development of the famous, or should I say infamous, uh, cross-licensed Monsanto Bayer Agent Orange, uh, which, of course, there are still people in uh, Vietnam being born with birth defects due to this uh, as well. Uh, so essentially, like a company that is, is powerful today because it sold weapons to both the Axis and the Allies uh, 
independently and cooperating are, have now joined forces into one unified front of hideous evil. Um, can, you, can you make that a Lord of the Rings reference? Yes. Oh man. Well, to be fair, that's what that's what that's what the, 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 that's what Sauron was trying to do, was he not? He was he was bringing together all these. Uh, the, there's no I in Sauron. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that maybe that was a little vague. <laughs> that was great. That was great. Thank you. Uh, I told you I wouldn't be out nerded. Uh-huh. Uh, so, <laughs> so okay. So why why does this matter? Well, I mean, it's just it it's a it it talks it it's a indicative of an ongoing trend of the consolidation of of multinational corporate power. The uh, the power and reach of which uh, now exceeds in many cases. All governments, uh, in uh, especially, I mean, already you could make the case, but certainly with the passing of the TPP, uh, which many fear is imminent, um, would in almost all ways, in in almost all ways that are meaningful, put them in a position of being more powerful than even the U.S. government itself, uh, where it's not already subservient to it. Um, especially when we have essentially legalized bribery uh, in the United States, so the ability to to you know use. Uh, Citizens United to funnel un- unlimited amounts of cash <clears throat> that, according to the court that ruled over that uh, ruling that allowed this, does not even present the appearance of corruption, might I add, in that ruling. Um, and it's just uh, – it made this even bigger. And the, the reason I wanted to reference the thing about uh, the Asian Orange and their involvement in World War II is – you know, people will say, oh, well, you know, you're just against this or you're not, blah, 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 blah. It's just corporate progress and blah, 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 blah. Well, they, these are, and at the risk of going on my rant once again, <laughs> uh, amoral machines, amoral profit-driven machines, and they are now given hideous, hideous powers. We have we have a computer program. There's a great movie that's coming out. I'm, I'm a really big fan of uh, uh, sci-fi horror, if you will. So, like, sci-fi movies that are, like, have a have a sort of a suspense or a horror tinge to it. You're really, so, you're really fighting hard for this nerd cred here. Yeah. Like, there's, I, I mentioned Helm Deep to, like, I'm going sci-fi horror. Let's do this. Uh, so I've th- I'll throw down on that. <laughs> so, and, and it's a movie, and it's a very popular type of movie right now. We had uh, 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 Ex Machina came out a little while ago. Uh, so a lot of, it's very trendy right now. I think we've moved on past zombies, and we're now on to uh, Rogue AIs as kind of, like, the go-to sort of thriller topic right now, which is great because I like it way more than zombies. Zombies, <laughs> um, but I mean that's the, when we talk about the horrifying nature of a machine that doesn't have human feelings and thinking and will just sort of take its own desires and and no thought for for the care of others. Um, that's what we have when we have a, a a multinational corporation that has a legal responsibility to pro- maximize profit to shareholders. Uh, they and the individuals that work there may not be evil, but the end result is because a, a lack of good and a lack of human compassion and and a lack of an ability or a desire or a need or anything else to put uh, human well-being ab- above the corporate profits is by definition uh, taking the human element out of it. It is often more profitable. Very easy example, slavery. If you have no labor costs, it's cheaper to manufacture your product. If you have no human morals and no human standards, slavery is a great idea. So this, that's why this is terrible. That's why we should be paying attention, even without going spending a whole show on the actual specific hideous things that both Bayer and Monsanto has done, that this is an indication of a general, a general trend towards the supremacy of private corporate power, which has absolutely no moral responsibilities whatsoever, by legal requirement. And uh, this is something that we need to be paying attention to. And this is a great reason why you should show up to the two activities that uh, Stefan just mentioned through our friend M.A. Ma. Uh, as well to stop the TPP because this will continue to solidify these amoralistic, terrifying AI robots of profit uh, from selling us out literally seed by seed. <laughs> well, now that we've now we've lifted everyone up, Darren. 
now that we know we've brought everyone uh, to such a warm place in their hearts, uh, you know, everyone was laughing about Helm's Deep, and then and then we decided to switch it. We switched gears pretty strongly. Um, we you, you mentioned actually you, before the segment you actually mentioned two uh, two stories. Yeah, so I have one more. We've got about six minutes left, so I'll get through it here uh, fairly quickly. Uh, so f- this is really an example of um, you know uh, it, we uh, prioritize science uh, science here over uh, personal feelings. Uh, I I often commentary on the science. Hmm. I don't uh, feel that I agree. <laughs> but science uh, and data and research is, is primary. But So I thought this would be an interesting uh, thing to look at really quickly, which was that uh, you know, science as is not a paper. It's not a, well, I have a PhD, therefore I'm right. It's not an argument from authority. Uh, the process of science is not just to do research, but it's to validate it through uh, peer review and through oversight and repeatability. The reason is, is because we know that humans are flawed, whether in some cases intentionally or simply by you know not being smart enough or not or having made a mistake, very human uh, problem. Uh, is so that you repeat it, and this is why you repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. Unfortunately, as uh, Stephen Colbert, or sorry, uh, John Oliver did a great uh, episode on last week tonight on uh, scientific studies, and more importantly, how they're reported in the media. Uh, often, science can be used to cloak what's actually true with half truths, uh, and so which is not to say, and to, which is not to be confused with. Therefore, we can't trust science. It's that we need to understand what science is, and it's not a single study, or it's not even a group of studies. It's repeatability and testing, and context and methodology, and it is boring, and it's long, and it's really, really freaking important. So here's why: the sugar industry 50 years ago apparently blamed scientists to point the blame at fat. The reason being was that uh, there was a focus on heart disease. And the uh, sugar industry, uh, to some extent, knew that sugar was responsible, uh, but they'd funded some Harvard research uh, because there was also a component with fat. And so essentially, this is now just being uh, dug up now, uh, but in the uh, 60s, essentially, the sugar industry uh, recognized an opportunity here and funded a bunch of research that essentially started, uh, and I think we, we, we're all, we're, we're sort of out of it now, but I think all of us are, are of the age to remember sort of a, a big you know, thing focus on well, fats and these sorts of fats and those types of fats and low fat diets. And this was a, this has been a thing for about you know forty years, uh, and this was largely actually as a result of uh, science that was secretly funded by the sugar lobby uh, to draw attention away. Don't make me make me Star Wars uh, Darth Sidious <laughs> reference here. I'll, I'll resist the urge. The, 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 um, this is not this is not the sugar you're looking for. <laughs> Well, I was also going to do this sort of like cloak and dagger misdirection thing. But anyway, uh, but this is this is something that happens. And this is why we have to be um, very, very certain to uh, to uh, know, like understanding those boring things, uh, the the methodology and the research and who paid for stuff and, and, and who paid for it doesn't disvalidate the science. But it can sometimes give you a tip off as to, you know, should I be suspicious of this? Uh, and that's why, you know, as much as we prioritize uh, science and uh, and studies on this program, uh Finding a simple study that agrees with your point of view is not good enough. Uh, and this is a really good example of, of why. And so we have about two minutes left, and I've been talking for about 17 minutes uh, straight. <laughs> I'm wondering if either of you would uh, care to comment on that topic. Well, it's – yeah, it's funny. It's, 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 it's so – it's one of those things where it, you don't want to – you don't want to go out and be like science, like because the science is 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 scientific method is so is so 
poorly understood, I think, by by, by the general public. By the general public. Yeah. Um, in that it's, you know, people often say it's either science or this other thing. And, and as science says this. Uh, and then when you try to explain to them, or, or whatever anyone says, gravity, you know, climate change is just a theory. But then he was like, but no, that's, so is gravity. Uh, you're just still not going to jump off a building and presume you're going to, you, you'll fall to the ground. That's, that's how this works. By the way, theories are really, really difficult to become a thing. There's a way to, I don't understand why people don't use this example more often. There's a really easy way to explain the difference. Music theory. It right. describes the method about which how something is done, not theory as in I have an idea or a hypothesis. When, when we're talking about uh, the theory of gravity, we're talking about like the theory of music, not I have an idea about gravity. It's, it's a different usage of the same term, and I don't know why anyone doesn't make that comparison. <laughs> it's, it's very easy to understand once you have an example. For sure, but but it's what I think what's interesting about this is that like then you get to these these kind of stories where you know science can be pointed at places by money and 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 to, t- to tie this to sort of the, the the privatization that's going on with education and the, the amount of times that now universities are so are so poorly funded that that they that they are no they are now going out of their way to find other people to give them money that's how these that's how that's how you start pointing pointing science is is once you don't have a public uh, a public people out looking at public good uh paying people to to study things uh because if you're not paying people to study things you're not gonna get anything done all right and then you end up with universities that are don't want to divest because they depend so much on money that's coming from fossil fuel exactly yeah and hopefully barmer you'll stick around and talk with us a little bit about the show we're gonna have a a nerd out showdown and or uh (laughs) maybe talk more about science on this week's bonus show other than that have good green week folks thank you so much for listening to the green majority here on ciut 89.5 have a good week and we'll see you all real soon So that's it for the regular broadcast this week. Thank you for listening to it. We also get into some more nerdiness as well as a discussion about world government in this week's bonus show and some thoughts about the general idea of support and critique at the same time and how these things are not mutually exclusive. Celebrate your wins with the Green Majority by going to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Green Majority to sign up and be a member to help us support our show. Other than that, enjoy the bonus show. All right. Welcome to the bonus show, everybody. Um, so this is the story. Uh, I promised that I would have a story about the, ner- uh, the nerdiest story I could come up with. Uh, this one's about – I, I actually Googled uh, just nerdiest opinions, so I could just open with a random opinion. Couldn't find anything because the internet's useless. Uh, so instead um, – there's a game. This is actually this is actually a request uh, to our listeners, uh, which is that I, you know, like when you get a game, when you have a game as a kid, and then you just can't find it anymore because you just, it doesn't seem like it exists anywhere. I would pay so much money to be able to play on my new computer uh, the game Stronghold, which was this game. Basically, it was like an, it was it was an RTS kind of game, uh, real time strategy kind of game. Uh, but you but you the idea was that you could you could build your own uh, castle. Uh, and then, and then, and then, and people sieged it. Basically, that was the idea. Um, but like, what was it fun about this game is you could build the castle, and then someone else could siege it. So you could like, pl- you could play like it's kind of a hot seat kind of thing. You had some fun that way. And I remember for at one point in time, I spent at least a couple days with my brother and my cousin trying to recreate Helm's Deep. And the problem, the problem with trying to recreate Helm's Deep um, as a uh, in this game stronghold. Uh, is that you could never have the Riders of Rohan come in late. They either had to start on the map immediately, which meant that the humans just, uh, that, that meant that, that, that the Helm's Deep obviously won, uh, 
this one immediately, or you couldn't have them at all, which meant Helm's Deep obviously got destroyed every time. There was no way to delay the arrive the 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 the, the occurrence. You couldn't even put them far enough away to make it make any sense. Uh, so uh, I we never we never successfully made Helm's Deep, uh, and that is my story. Stefan, if you'd been doing that within uh, DDO, you should have given them really high uh, fortitude saves, ah. and then just like scoured the battlefield with poison. All right. Well, I, 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 there was. I, I, guess the, I don't know if. I wonder if there was poison. I forget. There were moats, obviously. <laughs> so uh, this relates uh, not at all. Great to what I wanted to talk about. Fantastic. Um, but it was amusing. No, there we go. That's all. <laughs> then, then I've done my job. I'm, I'm out. Good night, everyone. <laughs> uh what did that well loosely we've talked about this a little bit before but i wanted i wanted to do it um uh, we haven't had a lot of sleep this week mm. so i wanted to i wanted to take a lighter look at something we've talked about before and and maybe be a little less intense about it because i i'm a, i might don't know be but uh about you guys i'm a little worn out this week uh so one of the stories we didn't get to this week was uh, uh one uh titled uh embrace the change uh un environment boss tells canada's oil patch this was uh put out by the National Observer, and you won't be surprised if you've been following either them or us for a while that it's Mike D'Souza who's been doing an insane job. If we can, we create an award just to give him because um, he's amazing. <laughs> the, the, the Green Majority's first ever Mike D'Souza Award, named Mike D'Souza, goes to Mike D'Souza. Yeah. We'll see how many years in a row he wins his own award. Yeah, uh, I'd be intrigued to see the person who was trying to, you know, try, try to beat out Mike D'Souza for his own for, for the award we named after him. Uh, well, there. Never mind. I was about to get even dirtier. Let's stay on. Let's stay on. Target. Did you know Cy Young never won the Cy Young Award? I'm just saying, Mike D'Souza can have that. Can have that ability. I just tried to, to bring us back away from silliness and nerdiness by using a Star Wars reference. Stay on target. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> So the idea here, of course, is that you know is that the the UN is is um, often on the on the forefront uh, of far of what they ask for uh, in a lot of cases. What the, the types of policies that they promote in many cases, like the uh, 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 is it the Millennium Development Goals, I believe. Um, and one of the reasons for this, of course, is that they don't have any authority to do anything in most of these cases, and this frees them up to be very idealistic. I think. Um, and I think it's good because the UN can be very good at starting conversations. Uh, universally, uh, I think without exception, uh, pretty much everything they've ever said as as a body um, has been, you know, uh, offended or been objected to by someone. Uh, maybe sometimes it's only North Korea that opposes, but you know, there's, there's never unanimousness. Um, and and it's largely accused of being, a, uh, in many ways, a defunct organization. I think that's a conversation we could have. I don't agree, but there are certainly problems with it. Uh, the Security Council being one, where you give a bunch of the most powerful countries the ability to veto anything without giving an explanation uh, is a problem. Uh, but on the other hand, um, you know, many of our problems, as we've discussed before, are global. Um, and I think there's a conversation to be had about uh, at some point there has to be a way to, you know, if when the majority of countries agree to sort of force changes on the other ones, uh, that sounds bad. Even I don't like the sound of that. Um, but if the you know if the alternative is don't do anything, of course, as we know, not doing something is still a choice, and you're still taking an action. It's the it's the choice and the action of inaction. Uh, which, for instance, you know, as an example, if you're standing in the street and there's a truck coming, and you're like, I'm not going to choose. Well, you get hit by the truck. Uh, so, in many cases, you know, we have an instance where decisions must be made because not making a decision is making a decision, and it's a bad one. Uh, but 
the UN has very limited ability to do so. And of course, getting countries to agree on stuff as you know, anyone that's been following the you know last twenty something meetings of the uh, of COP. Um, this is this is not an easy task, and so I, I wanted to have a slightly more relaxed and less intense discussion because I'm all out of fire this week. Um, just about sort of you know the about the ideas and the merits of trying to and and the feasibility of even having a conversation about uploading some power to an international body like the United Nations or or a new body, but uh, some form of limited, of course, not universal, not we're not creating an emperorship, uh, but some limited form of uh, authoritative and powerful um, universe uh, uh, global uh, governing body to some degree, and I would put forward for discussion in the first place. Uh, the idea of A, do you think it's feasible? And B, do you think it's a good idea um, to to say that, you know, as a way to get this through is to severely restrict the types of powers that they have. Uh, but of course, this body would have to be something that operates outside of the currently understood Security Council or else it would cede to the same problem, which was, you know, everyone's decided the U.S. has done something wrong or China's done something wrong. And they're just going, nope, too bad. Uh so without the without getting into the feasibility as far as like would anyone agree to this um do, is that is that an option do you have any questions concerns comments uh, about the idea of trying to advocate for an extremely specific set of global powers to some form of international body so that we can take uh some decisive action on global issues uh that are we're currently standing in the street waiting for the truck to hit us because we can't make a decision to step left or right to evade the truck i think I, okay, I don't think th- I don't think we have enough time. Mm. I think we specifically with regards to climate change, we need to be addressing this right now. Um, and if you look at things like the carbon budget, we have something in the matter of a couple of years or a few years of continuing on with current level carbon emissions before we're out of our carbon budget, which means we should be at zero annual emissions, which is not going to happen. So. I think from that perspective, by the time we would, we globally, as in all the, what, 192 countries globally, would come to a decision on what the limits on those powers would be, the, the truck is way too close for that. Mm. Can I just update you on one thing? It's no longer the Millennium Development Goals, because that that got updated when, uh, when were they supposed to expire? 2012, I believe. Anyway, there's the Sustainable Development Goals. That's right. There's now 17 of them, and each of these has a number of targets. So there's a, there's a whole booklet, I'm sure, of hundreds and hundreds of targets mm-hmm. that people can look at and peruse and think about, and that's it, right? That's part of Weird. the problem that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, we didn't do that terribly on our Millennium Development Goals. Like, you look through them, and, and, and there's a couple that we actually hit uh, really? Yeah, uh, the, the, the specifically around poverty and a couple other ones of that nature. Uh, we totally missed the mark on all the on all the environment ones, of course. Uh, but there were, but it, it, in reality, actually, some we, it, it, we the, the international community didn't do that terribly on the millennium, on, on the millennium development goals, um, which is a. Like I know that, like I just presumed we fail at everything. Like that's yeah, just isn't how. Yeah, it's bad that my next question is, wait, how how weak were they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, like, uh, but that's I, like, a good point. Okay. So. Like I, I, I guess like like it's 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 nice to have these kind of 
like I, I feel like we just always presume nothing works. Celebrating uh, successes. It's, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. important. Um, like, uh, let's check. Let's. let's I'm kind of curious now. And I was googling Millennium Development ach- Goals Achievements uh, <laughs> to see actually how well we did. Sorry, um, I threw you off track, though. No, no, no. But 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 the point is that I feel like that's the the consistent. You know, because. Because we are so used to understanding all of the failures, uh, or so used to paying attention to the to things, we, we forget that like the UN does do things. Like it's like it's a ma- it's a massive organization that of, definitely obviously has a ton of failings. But when you get at any organization that big, it's it, you know like look at some of the companies that are that big, and then someone they just like they have to hire outside lawyers to like look, investigate themselves because they can't figure out what they're doing themselves. It's and these it's, are and these have and this is one top down power, let alone a hundred and seventy eight people trying to work together, organi- like that represent seven billion people trying to work together. It's kind of, it would, a metaphor for that would be like somebody who's so overweight that they can't you know like investigate their own their their back of their leg for you know a wound or something like that right they're, they're, these organizations are so massive they almost can't turn and it and look at themselves structurally yeah yeah exactly and so like uh and, and so that is really just to say that the uh you know what's funny of course is that like i feel like i, I don't know how much everything is moving around deck chairs uh, mm. when you're not talking about uh, when you're not talking about you know what actually gets things done you know like what what are the things in this world that will really get something done if you have enough money you can probably do it uh, if you're the United States military you can probably do it um, and then and then and then if you're if you have enough people you can probably do it uh, and so I feel like I, I feel like organizing is so important uh, and and uh, the, the the older I get, the more the more uh, respect I have for organizers uh, because it's so so hard, and yet the only thing that gets anything done uh, for for the for, that's from the will of the people because like you know corporations have the money, uh, United States has the military, uh, all we have is organizing, mm-hmm. uh, and so how we and so and so uh, so I'm I'm, I'm like whether or not we 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 self organize in a different way that that then you know that gives everyone the power that you know, that one a, a higher authority to some extent like we'll ultimately just be saying you know let's let's commit like let's commit the government the people to be more controlled by the United States China and a couple of other places um, which maybe that would help because you know it would be great if but then again the government the American government could be like just look looking at even just what the American government allows or fails to keep from happening inside its own government uh, or the or, or like or the amount of which they don't even they can't properly tax anyone in their own jurisdiction like the amount of loopholes they have every single government that comes in says they're going to close tax loopholes and no one does because of how much invested interest there is in in not closing those tax loopholes uh and so part of me is like yes it'd be great to have a government that sort of was above that sort of that was that could span the same the same size as these as these organizations that go back and forth uh, like as as multinationals do uh, but at the same time if the american government cannot which is like in the american government i, I keep using the american government because it's like the more the, it's the most powerful government that ex- like in the in military wise at the very least and is the biggest uh, not of you know if you want to talk about control you got to look at china um, but if the American government can't even successfully tax uh, or or regulate its own in organiza- businesses inside itself, uh, I have limited faith uh, in the ability of a large organization worldwide to do the same thing. 
Um, it, I think it comes down to will. Uh, I think if, if, the, if the American government had the will it actually to be able to self governize in, 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 in a real way, then we could start seeing some real changes. Because, um, like, you, you, it, they could. Um, it's just that there's just so much money in not doing it. Uh, so, I don't know. I said a lot of things. Those are yeah. my thoughts. No, I think. Well, I think we're. I think we're good. I just have a closing comment that maybe uh, uh, Barbara would uh, would like to to finish this out. But um, part of the thing is that you know that's why the American elections right now are so important because you know we're the the choice for Americans right now is between a, a you know for argument's sake uh, bought and paid for senator uh, with some you know, distasteful centrist views to my taste, um, and is way too in bed with corporates, uh, company uh, with corporations, uh, for my and many people's tastes or a hideous monster fascist, you know, jackass, uh, clown. Can I add five more? Yes. Uh, <laughs> monster jackass clown. Um, you know, is that great name for a monster truck? <laughs> jackass clown. That is a pretty good name yeah. for a monster truck. Uh, so, um, I mean that's that's and it's and the terrifying thing is it's turning into a real nail biter. A lot of yeah. people are really even like the even the Republicans are like, oh my god, he might win. What the hell does that like? This is terrifying. Um, but you know, assuming assuming that that more urgent problem, you know, that you know, burning slowly from climate change or lighting the world on fire with a can of gasoline and, and a and a Joker style laugh that would be you know Donald Trump in charge of nuclear codes. Uh, is then with one interesting side of that is that a lot of people because of that uh, I think misguidedly have been holding off on Hillary Clinton because they're just they're like no it doesn't matter because he's worse and so we just have to blindly you know support her and not don't criticize her because then that will reduce her risk of winning which I don't agree uh, and by the way then you should have voted for Bernie Sanders but anyway mm-hmm. um, is that what will be interesting though is that that is a lot of people's position is to to hold off on criticizing her until. You know the the threat of Trump has passed. Um, so I will predict now, and this will be my final prediction for this week, uh, is that uh, speaking of hell's deep, the gates of hell will open if Clinton does win. Of all these people that were holding back and like, oh, good, now we don't have to be worried about Trump. All right, it's time to get to work, and she is going to have the worst first year for sure mm. of probably any president in history. Uh, because not to mention all the sort of sexism against her. And there is a lot of valid criticism against Hillary Clinton. Unfortunately, it's wrapped up with a lot of sexism as well. Uh, and those both of those things are true and exist. Uh, she is a flawed candidate. And there's a lot of uh, opposition to her for bad reasons, which is sexism and a variety of other things, uh, in addition to the valid criticisms of her. Uh, but Boy, so good and bad, but she is going to have a hell of a first term in a first year uh, as all these people, first of all, for the bad reasons, but I, more importantly, and what I'd like to focus on, the very, very good reasons of where she is actually just dead wrong on policy, uh, there is going to be, you know, between the Republicans and all of the lefties who have been holding back for fear of Trump, uh, good God, it's going to be a firestorm uh, right afterwards. So either way, after the November elections, it's going to be real interesting. Either, either, either I'm going to be you know, starting to, to buy uh, survival gear uh, or I'm going to be reading a lot of news uh, because it's going to be very, very eventful next year. Uh, I have, I have a, uh, I'm going to throw it to Barbara to, to help to finish off the show, but I have my last comment for this show, uh, which ties both to that and to the epic nerdiness that I, that I, that I remain to claim that I have. Uh, which, as I said, uh, I don't usually self-identify as a nerd, mainly because it annoyed, because people on the internet ruined it for me. Uh, people on the, on the internet ruined a lot of things for me, and that's one of them. That just makes you a nerd and a nerd, uh, and a hipster nerd. Ah, there you go. I'm a hipster the nerd. The 
internet ruins everything yeah. is the definition of a hipster nerd. That's true. Okay, I'll take it. Um, uh, is that my Armageddon plan uh, is to uh, move further north of Canada, like in, in, in the, the northern Ontario kind of area, uh, and live in a hobbit hole. Um, we're going to make a hobbit hole. Uh, we're going to have we're going to get a whole hobbit in. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna farm off the off the now warming land uh, and in live in a hobbit hole. That's my plan. Yeah. That sounds Water. great. There's actually a lot of fertile arable land up there that's not amazing. Being, this uh, plan is coming together. Yeah, no, this is this is gonna happen. Uh, what did I want to talk about? I don't know. I'm just terrified now. <laughs> I have this look of fear just listening to Darren describe the next few months. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm not necessarily terrified. It's, it's gonna be. It's, it's gonna. Yeah. The, the fascination and the interest will not stop at the election. It will continue regardless of who wins. That's fair. Okay, I just wanted to bring one complexity to the to the UN question. I recently attended a uh, writing level uh, public consultation on the proportional. Uh, sorry, on the um, electoral reform. By the, that's run by the federal MPs, and man, if a room of, I mean, we had we had a small table discussion with with eight people sitting around. We could not come to a consensus on what our main values are or guiding principles when thinking about electoral reform. Not even, of course, we're not going to agree on which you know electoral system we would like to see, but not even the guiding principles. Um, we finally narrowed it down to top three four just by voting um so that would be a really difficult thing to to, to do globally i think I, I like your i think your your analysis of i like this thread of criticism that we're kind of spinning through the show this idea of celebrating successes and and critiquing at the same time which i think is really important a lot of i mean every every radical movement has to do this right um whether it's gender issues or, or racial issues or whatever, there's always these small successes that don't mean that we're done. And I think Stefan pointed out early that environmentalists are not good at this. And I think we just need to be better at not at, at using criticism in a constructive way and taking it a constructive way and not seeing it as a teardown. So even if Hillary would be the preferred candidate of most people, they're still allowed to critique her for the things that she's genuinely doing that are that are concerning because everyone's going to have that. So if if we could have maybe not world peace, but just more constructive conversations about criticism. I think that's a fabulous place to end it. Thank you so much, Barbara, for joining us. And of course, Stefan, for joining uh, uh, me as well again this week. Mm-hmm. And uh, for our listeners, for sticking to the end of the show, despite the fact that I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. Uh, very appreciated. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to everybody real soon.